I could really use a change of scenery. Yeah. Everybody's smoking all the greenery. Yeah. Close the match cause they were handed down to me. But I'm still fly, I'm still fly, I know. I'm still fly, I'm still fly, let's go. Hi, I'm Greg Xavier and welcome to the ADOT. In this series, we explore the idea that there could be one day that completely shifts or changes your entire life. From the inside out, so right now. Say it with your chest now, say it with your chest now. I'm young, I'm free. On this week's episode, I sat down with Erica Bracken, a former marketing executive turned yoga teacher and skincare expert. We talked openly about her struggles with an eating disorder and Erica did not hold back when detailing her own experience. Where to even begin? Erica, firstly, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you for having me. As I said, this is my very first podcast. I know, this is an exclusive. This is an Erica Bracken exclusive right here. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to be here. Erica sat in front of me and was glowing and full of energy as we jumped into this conversation. Erica went straight back to her struggles with eating disorders. She explores both how her eating disorder may have been perceived to the outside eye and how she was struggling during those early years. From my perspective, I got to a moment that I simply had to sit back and be educated on a topic that I may have had some stigma towards as a male. When I think back to to what I was, you know, like, you know, visibly, physically, mm-hmm. like at the peak stages of that, or at the lows of it, I suppose, more than a peak. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I was a shell of myself, you know what I mean? I look back at pictures now and I'm honestly like, who was that person? And, wow. oh, like, I feel like I'm going straight into the deep end here, but like, I was just so disconnected. You know, I think even like I was, I was running on empty but like still exercising you know an exponential amount with nothing in the tank you know what I mean and I was just so disconnected between my mind and my body I was floating around the place on complete hot air like um, yeah wow and so when you say so for anyone who doesn't know you or hasn't come across you before Mm -hmm. and you know as you said we've kind of gone straight in in the the, the deep end (laughs) here but again this is you know may as well get straight to the point and you know you're talking about when you say uh, eating disorder and you talk mm-hmm. about the way you used to be, maybe we'll just go back there a bit. You yeah. can give us a little bit of context of, you know, how long ago that was. Yeah. And obviously as much as you yeah. feel comfortable in saying. Oh, yeah. Like I said to you, I'm an open book. I'm, And the, that's kind of why, like, as I said, your podcast really appealed to me because like, as I will get into it, the kind of the message I have around eating disorders is about complete recovery and complete freedom from them um so uh, wherever i can talk about it and however and sharing my story that's just one method of doing so so i'm happy to do so amazing thank you but um yeah in terms of where it began you know like a lot of people you know like where i did my you know therapy the people i did it with they kind of don't necessarily look back to try and find a particular trigger or things like that so i do think there is like a number of you know traits and reasons and life changes and stuff that kind of all added up to to result in my eating disorder but to be honest like I uh, there was signs of it from when I was in like a teenager but I was physically outwardly you would have looked at me I was just you know regular size athletic going to college going out two nights a week you know studying away there was nothing unusual about me from the outside okay but like from even then like I I was I had the you know I was carrying out the behaviors of an eating disorder I was like making myself sick okay but I never even myself I never I never associated that with having an eating disorder um whereas I look back now and I saw I can see that that was the start of something you know what I mean that that like those type of behaviors I think people can kind of brush under the rug if it happens just every now and then or it's not kind of quite systematic or yeah you know also, it, yeah I would say the conversation around it mm-hmm. is not as public or yeah. sorry it was not nearly as well known or the awareness yeah. you know if you go yeah. back um say when you're a teenager say like 10 whatever years ago it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know but that's that's not the thing. too far off 10 not too far <laughs> off 10 well, there you go okay not too bad but 
that's definitely a that's that skincare mm. coming in there. Yeah, you know, yeah. I just can't tell. But it's um, I do have a baby face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's definitely a um a point to make is you know, you could you could probably look back uh, mm. growing up in say say nineties or, or early two thousands. Yeah. I know that and this is coming from from a male who you know went to school in Dublin. Mm-hmm. I didn't know much about eating disorders, but you know, in my ignorant age, I remember the first time I heard about someone that I knew who had it. Like yeah. myself and all my male friends, our general thought was like, "Oh, like what? She just wants to be skinny and kind of yeah. took it a bit too far." Mm-hmm. You know, we only ever knew in our ignorance the sort of surface level. Yeah. You know, and probably just made a really flippant assumption. Mm. But as you said, um, ironically for you, you know, from the outside. There was people would have said, oh, she's athletic, you know, yeah. normal size wasn't. But you're saying it was kind of the internal yeah. side of things. Yeah. So, of God, there's so much to say, so much to unpack. Yeah. <laughs> um, but <laughs> even there around that, like there's a couple of myths. So first of all, is that someone with an eating disorder is a certain size. So I think the stereotypical image that we have is someone who has an eating disorder, someone who's very thin, yeah. you know, who's who has that, you know, physical look you know they're very gaunt they're very thin usually a female usually in their teens etc but like the reality is is that it can as i said it can be someone who's an inverted commas normal size it can be someone who's you know in a bigger body it can be a male and that's a growing phenomenon um like and like again there's so much to say like in terms of it's it's never about the food first of all just to kind of say that like the food whether it's you know overeating undereating, purging you know avoiding certain foods etc you know coupled with often over exercising like those are just coping mechanisms for something else that's going on so they're things that you can control in your life when maybe other areas of your life are out of your control you know it's it's a safety net it's something that becomes part of your identity it's you know, I'd often kind of describe an eating disorder as like an abusive, being in an abusive relationship because you don't, you get so much from it. It keeps you safe, you know, but at the same time, it's completely sabotaging you. You feel in this constant state of desperation. You're at, you know, pit of your stomach, sick with worry. You're, it's just the worst feeling. You just feel in the grip of this thing that just does not want to let you go. But at the same time, you keep going back to it because it's what you know. It's your comfort blanket. It keeps you safe. And if you go outside the eating disorders rules or you don't listen to that voice telling you what to do, you just don't know what's going to happen. And it's risky wow. and it's not safe, you know. So yeah. that's a fascinating parallel to draw there. Uh, and you, you laid that out so articulately about being, it's being an abusive relationship where you're getting something from it and you know it's also destroying you mm. but it's familiar it's what you know yeah and um i would just be curious i'm sure people listening mm-hmm. would also be curious on, on the mental side when you say for example to use your analogy you said you're getting something from it is what you're getting from an eating disorder that feeling maybe of of some level of control or something kind of externally mm-hmm. while internally you feel out of control would that be fair to say yeah and like i said like just from my own experience like as I said I had this you know this kind of history of disordered eating so like just to put it in context I would always say that there's like a spectrum of eating disorders okay so at one side you have someone who has an eating disorder so as I said there's an an array of different types and at one side then you have someone who's completely free of fruit food rules they're you know as what we've described as, you know, completely recovered or someone who's just completely neutral. They have no hangups about food. They don't follow yeah. any restrictions, any rules. And in the middle, you have a lot of disordered eating. And this is people who are just conditioned. And there's so many people in all of our lives. I think most people, I think, are going around that have some sort of a food rule. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Something that they mightn't even, you know, even think of. And then once you kind of start to think about it, ask why, why do you have that? They're like, oh, it's just a thing that I do. You know, like I don't eat carbs after X amount or I don't eat breakfast until 11 uh, or I don't eat, you know, certain food. Because obviously if you have ethical or moral reasons not to eat a certain food, that's different. But if it's coming from an external source and, you know, Mm -hmm. that you just think is the right thing to do, Mm -hmm. like that is something to kind of to query. And Yeah, that's fascinating now that you brought that up because... Uh, 
that, that idea of a spectrum is like you said in the beginning we may have an idea of someone of you know looking a certain mm-hmm. way in terms of you know gaunt particularly yeah. female whatever it may be and then you you would say okay it's almost like there's a clear line like okay this person obviously has an eating disorder and mm-hmm. then people on the other side of the line is well they don't yeah but, you know they, they kind of run across a spectrum and I'm sure we'll definitely I'll, I'll question you more about that that later on because I know myself mm-hmm. having been involved in sort of uh, clean eating things you know come from the yeah. plant-based background and everything I've come across people who on the surface are quote-unquote making healthy changes yeah but deep down it's almost like a front for an eating disorder oh yeah Erica delves a little bit further into the early days of her eating distress developing. Erica discusses the factors that lent to her struggles, but also mentioned how it all started quite innocently around her focus on her own health and how she was unintentionally encouraged to continue as a result of society celebrating a skinny image during that period. This poses the question of how important our knowledge, language and feedback on other people's appearances and behaviours is. I'd love to know from yourself, mm-hmm. you were talking to us about in your teenage years, yeah. perhaps where you had, you said that you had a few signs and there was a few things that um, maybe people didn't know about and you could kind of flippantly kind of push it under the rug yeah. and everything. But I'd love to know how they then kind of, did they sort of start to build and snowball and that became mm-hmm. more and more kind yeah. of frequent and more extreme or, or how did you kind of get to a point then mm-hmm. where you kind of recognize okay I have a problem there yeah so as I said yeah I had like these kind of tendencies I like as a personality I would be like quite sensitive but I also would be you know quite a perfectionist um and I was as I said I was in college I had like certain sort of tendencies but I would have been you know as I said normal you know you wouldn't have looked at me twice and thought I had an eating disorder and mm-hmm. It was when I finished college, so I studied law and like all throughout college, I knew I didn't want to do anything in law. So I was kind of biding my time before I left college and actually <laughs> had to figure things out. And we've when all I, been there. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're still there. We're still, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll probably get to that where it's that in the yeah. end. We're all just figuring things out. Uh, but anyway, I left, I finished college and... I took a gap year because I still had no clue what I wanted to do. And I was still, I was young at that stage because I had done my leaving cert. I was just 17 doing my leaving cert, like a wow. few days before I did my leaving cert. So I was like, you know, 20 when I finished law. And it was that transitionary period. And I think that complete like lack of control not knowing what I was doing with my life. Ah, so this not, is the control Yeah, yeah, this is, this is my personal experience and I do think this was what brought it to the surface, so to speak. Um, the, like, no, you know, not really knowing who I was, what I wanted to do. And I went traveling, you know, there's a few kind of like things and experiences that kind of merged to, to really make it happen. I went traveling for, I took a gap year after college and I went to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And over there, I suppose I had complete control over what I was eating and like I'd been kind of living at home before that and I was in a new environment and I kind of found I was eating less and before then I had been really interested in food as well. Like I was, I was obsessed with food, just not in an unhealthy level, just like always been really into cooking, et cetera, like that. And I got over there and it was kind of that weird mixture of like being really into food, but then almost too into food and nutrition. Oh, and then, yeah. Well, I think there's, like you said, there's yeah. being into food in a cooking sense. Mm-hmm. And then there's being into nutrition. And, and the two yeah. can be like personally coming from uh, someone who's trained as a chef. You can cook for taste and you can cook for health. Oh, yeah. And they're two very, very yeah. different. And how far you go down those roads yeah. varies for everyone. Yeah. So I, I remember anyway, I started to lose weight when I was over there. And at the same time, I started to keep a food diary. Okay. And and that's literally you're you're just you're do, logging everything. Yeah. That you're do you eating. know why I actually did that? Was because I and this I do think is an underlying factor for my own personal eating disorder is that I always had stomach issues from when I was a kid, like six months old. Like I I was only in my early twenties that it was diagnosed as being IBS, which is just kind of like we don't know what's wrong with you. You yeah. have IBS. Okay. Um, so from a very young age, I've been very um, conscious of everything I put into my body and how that affected my stomach. So I do think 
there is something you know that that did have an impact on things so when I went to Vietnam I actually started taking that food diary because I was like when I go home I'm going to show this to a doctor and be like this is what I'm eating what the hell is wrong with me why is my stomach just all over the place all the time okay so so, so it was from though- a yeah it was actually from a like a fairly innocent naive point of view that I actually started this food diet. Yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't necessarily in the beginning from that point of trying to get control on something, no. but I'm getting the sense that it became that then. Yeah, so I like I started doing this, I started losing weight, like as I said I was like a normal size, but like I just got a little bit slimmer, a little bit more toned. People were giving me compliments. And, and, and that's the vicious circle. Yeah. It's when people you're actually getting positive mm. reinforcement for yeah. the behaviors that internally are negative but externally people are saying yeah. god you know you look well mm-hmm. you know what are you doing like tell me about and it. it is like you're chasing it so i would start eating less you know i had this food diary and you know i i would kind of it got to a point and it got worse and worse like i say i kept that diary for let's say nine months overall but the damage i did in that time was unbelievable like wow. i would like the day before i would and i'm kind of jumping ahead here now i'd be like Oh, I had three tablespoons of porridge oats yesterday. Maybe t- tomorrow I'll have two. You know what I mean? And then I had, a t- you know, I had two teaspoons of peanut butter. So I'm going to try and only have one tomorrow. And it literally was down to that. Like it was like a competitive thing with myself. Plus then like I was on, un- I was over exercising then at the same time. Okay. But, um, so on two fronts, it yeah. was reducing the food and then upping yeah. the exercise. And then at the same time, then like you mentioned that kind of clean eating movement. Mm-hmm. I, it was kind of at the beginning of social media for me really Instagram was kind of relatively new um so I latched on to that whole trend at that time I followed every clean eating influencer there was I was obsessed with all these like sneaky little ways that you can you know reduce calories yeah you know like cut out so-called bad foods and replace them with you know holier than thou your replacements i'm yeah. sure you've been there oh i know exactly you what know you're what i mean about. like yeah. it's just like that food is good this one is bad yeah. um but yes i went it was in vietnam anyway so i finished that volunteering was there for four months and then i went to australia for a month and i think i was obsessed australia is very much oh. healthy food etc so yeah, when i I'm, went there i was it was like a mecca like again it just opened my eyes to a whole other type of world so yeah, when i australia came australia is fascinating because yeah i'm sorry to cut across you no know, you know when you talk about how they australia they're very outdoor active lifestyle mm-hmm. obviously they have a great climate for it and it's funny because you can look at australia um as a whole and i have family there and i, I have two young cousins under the age of 10 yeah. And my, my cousin was telling me that they, in their school, for example, they are not allowed junk food. So, you know, she mm-hmm. was asking, the, the mother was asking me about, well, how do I make healthy brownies or something? You know, that's mm-hmm. that's delicious, but also the school essentially allow it in. And I personally find that interesting because if we just look back on what you said about mm-hmm. when you were younger, having the problems and the food diary, something positive that became negative. Yeah. It's that it won't necessarily happen for, for everyone, mm-hmm. but, you know, drawing awareness to what you're eating at such a young age yeah. and saying like this is good this is bad oh yeah you don't know how that uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying that like personally i think it's it's a good thing obviously you're trying to eliminate junk mm. food but you don't know how a child takes that on board and how that that transpires oh, like in your situation you know decades later let's yeah. say oh like when i look at how like some schools now and it's not something i'm an expert on but when you look at some of the rules that they have in school it's it's well intentioned Mm -hmm. but it can be so damaging like i know in certain schools i don't know if they do this in ireland but definitely in like the states and stuff they weigh kids in school bringing attention to their weight at that age but even in this school these kind of like no sugar that they don't allow certain foods in etc um it's like and they praise kids then for doing that and as i said if you're the type of kid who is good at it mm-hmm. who gets attention from doing it who from get, adults who finds uh you know a form of identity from it like yeah. it's addictive you know what i mean and it's there's so much in the world now of you know telling us how to lose weight how to but there's not enough of saying you know what happens when it goes too far you know what yeah. i mean so like i was doing all the right things so i came home from australia i remember everyone being like wow like you look great like okay. oh god like so, you're so, when you're you so went, fit and you, you went from vietnam to australia and and everything just kind of 
it, yeah. it continued on that same track of mm. more exercising cleaner yeah less eating. like i came home and i still there was no clue what i wanted to do in my life but i had a thing you know what i mean i came okay. home and i was i was healthy eating all the way like i was like in the kitchen buying everything and anything from a health store you know replacing all you know the regular un- ingredients or the bad stuff yeah with unquote. with you know better ones and it from there just like as i said i was like started running more i was going like spinning classes and it just really became part of my identity and i just felt like i was just you know i was just so good at this and i didn't really know what i was going on but i was really good at this you know what i mean okay. and it just became such a thing but as i said it soon like it wasn't long for me because like kind of what I'm what I'm getting at now you probably might have guessed is like my t- form of eating disorder would be probably classed as orthorexia so orthorexia is a you know a fascination or a pathological need to eat healthy food um, it's like hyper clean eating yeah, basically exactly yeah. and that's why it's like such a dangerous thing to demonize foods as good or bad and you know to live by these rules of regulations you know no matter where you are on that spectrum you know it is just dangerous you know we're told really we're you know we're told that these rules are how you should live your life and people expect that they are going to be on a diet for the rest of their lives and that's just how it is but what we should be teaching kids is about you know recognizing their own hunger cues Mm -hmm. knowing to eat you know intuitively you know not to listen to external voices telling them what to eat but to know that when you eat a nourishing meal it feels good but there will also be times when you know social occasions you know that other foods are just as good even if it's just mentally they make you feel good um yeah and it's yeah (laughs) i just i laugh because someone once said to me sometimes it's better to eat mcdonald's with your friends and eat a salad alone and and i really that really stuck to me i still i still don't really go to mcdonald's but i remember just going oh okay Mm, yeah like we're not on this planet to follow a diet you know what i mean for the rest of our lives and it's like i don't know how much the wellness industry is worth but i'm gonna put a i'm gonna put a trillion dollar estimate on it i'd say i'd say uh, wherever it is it's only it's only going towards that or going you, to you might that. you might um t- check that at the end <laughs> yeah but like i always say that we are just individual fragile humans with brains that are not evolving as quickly as the media that and is surrounding us society. Yeah. yeah so we are literally so vulnerable to all the messages we're constantly getting Mm -hmm. so it's so difficult to know what to eat when to eat to listen to your own natural intuitive voice and which is saying you know you should eat that now you know you might you're hungry whereas like in your mind you've been like i i can't be hungry because i only ate two hours ago but maybe what you get two hours ago was not enough so your body is saying no you're hungry now we need more. but like you know even if you're saying no i'm not hungry i'm gonna wait now until it's my time to eat yeah. you know it's not lunchtime yet so i'm not gonna eat you know these kind of thing all these little cues that we're told this is the correct way to eat mm-hmm. um instead of just listening to ourselves and and i think a lot of people kind of roll their eyes when they hear of that form of kind of intuitive eating yeah. And that they're kind of like, oh, so I'm just going to eat whatever I like want sit there, all the time. Sit there and think, oh, what do I feel like having? Yeah. Oh, intuitively, I want this and I'm yeah. going to Yeah, or it. they yeah. think that like you'll, you'll lose, the, lose the run of yourself and you'll just end up eating crisps all day long and stuff. But like, you know yourself that if if you're in that place of kind of balanced, you're in, you know, eating for yourself, you know, for your body, you're not overthinking it. You're not underthinking it. You're just eating well and in a place from balance and from an internal voice. Like, yes, a bag of crisps is nice, but it's not going to make you feel good if you eat 20 bags of crisps. You know what I mean? And that's all you eat. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I find it very interesting, and I'm sure people listening will as well, of the way that you talk now, like your awareness of obviously your own individual where you were a few years ago, but also like the, the wider context mm. of, and I, I think I find that so fascinating because you obviously have picked up on, you know, the societal influence, the, the social yeah. media influence, everything. And, and you can see how that permeates mm. down. And, you know, it's, it's not that someone's explicitly standing there saying, you know, you should have an eating disorder, but it's how those little things mm. kind of, you know, they slowly feed together. Yeah. It is interesting to note that Erica's eating disorder started from a place of good intention and the focus was on her health. 
In the next section, the same motivation of health was also the turning point for Erica to change how she'd been approaching her life. Sometimes, our intention is not always the issue. It is how that intention is treated and the choices we make as a result. Can we challenge and change how we approach intentions that have been mistreated? So for me, when I found out, because because I was kind of eating for health and I wanted to be the healthiest version of myself and I thought that everyone else was complete slobs by not eating mm-hmm. <laughs> the way I did. I You have this kind of superiority complex when you have an eating disorder, you know, you are just... You're, eat, up, you're, you're up here above everyone yeah, else. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And your eating, your eating disorder is telling you that you're eating the right, you're eating the right way. They're all wrong. Okay. Uh, it's very smart. <laughs> it yeah. is, it, it's massive, you know, has a, it's very an intellectual voice that's telling you that they're wrong but in order to keep you on that track and sort of justify so you're coming up against something perhaps for example eating with other people that's challenging your viewpoint Mm. but you almost have a mechanism that goes oh no but you're you're doing the better thing you're yeah, doing the right thing exactly. and they, they just don't know no, they and, don't and know. maybe one day they'll figure it out <laughs> but I, I figured it out now um but yeah for me when my health really came into question and that was kind of as I said happened very quickly for me to be honest like so first of all I first the first symptom of it obviously I lost a lot of weight and I got very thin very quickly but okay. and my my hair started to get very thin oh, right. and you have a great head of hair like can you imagine i i, I will this is a, i don't use you but i do have fabulous yeah, hair you have fantastic hair <laughs> thank you um you know it it is such a outward part of your physical appearance and yes. you know for a female in particular and for males as well obviously there's a lot of your body image and self-esteem is attached to it not a lot but you know it, it does affect it so that started to go like started to get very thin and I was just like shit like so excuse me I cursed it's okay it's okay don't <laughs> I worry I was like wait maybe I'm not as healthy as I can be so you know I must not be um because I'm not nourishing my body enough so like even though I was eating meticulously I was eating all the nutrients I knew all about the nutrients you know what I mean I was nutrient central every meal had to have a billion nutrients you know what I mean but no matter how you know nourishing it is in terms of you know micronutrients etc if you're not eating enough if you're not getting enough energy to your body it's going to start shutting off those you know those functions that aren't necessarily essential essential. so your hair is one of the first things to go your menstrual cycle is another thing I was on the pill at the time so that wasn't yeah I couldn't I didn't know if that was affected it it turns out over the years it was um and I only actually recently got that back. And that just tells you how long it takes the body to wow. recover. And so that was seven years ago. Wow, yeah. seven years. So it's like, the you know, it is a long recovery process. And I'll get on to that. But the wow. other... Well, congratulations, other kind of, I suppose. Thanks. I no, it's amazing. a big thing. Yeah. It is. It's, for me, it was a massive milestone because it's such a signifier of a healthy body, a healthy female yes. body to, to have that every month. And it kind of, you know if it's whether it's you know too heavy or you have none it is a signifier of something going on inside you you know what i mean oh, and, interesting um yeah so that was a that was a big milestone for me i remember texting my um counselor my therapist being like it's back yeah. I have it. And she was just like yes <laughs> and, and can i ask in, in the lead up to mm. it, it finally coming back um you know what was the the feeling internally around that was that something because obviously you know, your health started to deteriorate, as you were saying, mm. and, and you've made such a change over the last few years. But w- did you fear that this was, I mean, I, probably there's research mm. out there that kind of said, well, it could come back based on certain things. But did you fear that that was maybe a sort of a lifelong kind of, you know, based on what, what you'd gone through? Was that a lifelong mm. sort of sentence or something that that was a consequence that you couldn't? I was like, I, you know, I, with my therapist I would have gotten like bloods done regularly etc like that would have been I worked with a GP who worked with her like I would never have seen the blood test results he would just want would have sent them to her okay. just because just me being the type of person I am and I presume a lot of people with eating disorders are if I got a hold of those numbers I oh, would yeah. track and I would monitor and the I blood would diary would be out there yeah oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like she would just be like look there's no need for you to look at them I look at them but she would have said look your hormones are registering they're there like because they would have been completely just gone at one point so I knew okay. I knew it was kind of 
I was I was getting there and it just took a lot longer than I, I would have hoped. Um, yeah, that that's positive mm. though. The fact that you knew that it was moving in the right direction. Yeah, because... but like still, uh, that was years and yeah. years coming. Like, But to kind of go back to your original question, the other thing that really freaked me out, I suppose, and that really said to me, okay, I need to, to really take this a lot more seriously than I am, um, was my, I got... Um, I hurt my foot actually um I was running and I hurt my foot and I got a x-ray on it and he said oh look it's a I don't know what it's there was like maybe a small fracture or something like non- a hairline fracture yeah or something, and he yeah. was like the physio in fairness to him must have taken one look at me and said do you know what you should go get a bone density scan okay. um so I did uh, so a DEXA scan yes and I had osteopenia so that was what 22 three maybe okay at that and stage could you, could you enlighten us a little bit on osteopenia so osteopenia is the early onset stages of osteoporosis oh, wow. so at like, 22 yeah so like that is you know as you said your my body was only developing as a female like your body your bones are still developing at that stage of your life and if you're not kind of if you don't get them to a certain stage by a certain stage you know you will you will be a lot more predisposed to have osteoporosis wow. when you're older so I think all these things coupled together um and I had started as I said let's say when I went to Vietnam that was I say January in that year I'm kind of by let's say around September that year I had gone to my GP and being like okay look I think I'm you know not eating enough or I'd gone with my mom my mom was a big part of my recovery process um amazing and my GP referred me to a dietitian so my first kind of introduction to getting help was very much from a physical point of view so I had a went to that dietitian and like this dietitian didn't address any of the mental aspect was just like you need to eat 3,000 calories a day you need to eat from all these food groups um and <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and you know from you from you obviously it was an amazing that first step of of saying and obviously as you yeah. said you know sort of how many hints do you need from life to sort of you know yeah. for you to shift your mindset and mm-hmm. say there's something wrong here but I, I I find that fascinating that you are still you're still probably and and correct me if I'm wrong here with your mindset maybe you're still sort of you're coming out of the the orthorexia but you're probably kind of flip-flopping between you know the old mindset and the new mindset mm. and then from reducing down reducing down and someone just says three thousand calories a day off you go yeah without is... without looking at the the mental side of yeah. why you weren't going anywhere near that previously mm. did that cause a lot of inner turmoil then oh like obviously you know if if i was someone to come to me now and say you know i have an eating disorder or my daughter has an eating disorder where should I get help? Like, obviously you do need to address the physical side of things, particularly if that person is under 18. Like, as you said, they, they do need to, their nutrition is important. Absolutely. But 100% for me, the recovery didn't start until, you know, a year later until I started getting the proper, the right help. Okay. Um, but yeah, going into that dietitian who obviously had the best intentions, me going in, I guess I said, I know a lot about nutrition. The eating disorder is very clever. It knows how to hide food, how to get okay. eat eat more, but with less calorie. You know, it, yes. it's so smart. You know what I mean? Like, and you, it just finds every trick in the book. And so, you're, so, so you're you're essentially at war with yourself at that point because, yeah. well, as in internally, you mm-hmm. have the eating disorder. You know, if it has a voice saying one thing to you, yeah. and then you have you kind of going. But, you know, my something isn't quite right. Something's not yeah. right here. You know, there's all these signs at my mm. body with, with the hair and the osteopenia and everything. And so you're you're essentially your internal that internal conflict is you can't square those two off. Mm. They're at direct loggerheads with each it other. It is. And like that food weight approach, you know, it just it obviously just didn't work with for me at all. Like I remember like I was put on those drinks I can't, what's the name of them? You know, they, they give them to, I know they give them to homeless people and drug addicts. But they give them oh, to people, so it's, you're talking about the, it the, has calories, you know, it has fats. You know those, they're has... like small little plastic bottles. They give them to like people who are really ill in hospital who can't consume a lot of food. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I, like I, I know high, exactly what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah, so you, you're just getting in. The name now escapes me. So they're like maybe three to 400 calories per like tiny little bottle. So yeah. like I was put on those because she was like, literally you cannot eat enough food like 
one mentally trying to eat that much amount of food when you're coming from eating nothing is a massive hurdle but then physically as well it's a lot of food to try and eat absolutely um, yeah. especially when you're coming from a place of eating very little yeah. um so I was put on those but like as I said I was clever you know my eating disorder was very clever I would just run more I would eat less at another time of the day so yes I was drinking two of these a day as I was supposed to but it just it would make no difference at the end of the day um okay because I just wasn't you know I wasn't playing by the rules it wasn't treating the source it was it was kind of chopping off the branches of my eating disorder but not looking at the trunk that was still just as strong as it was you know what I mean it just I think focusing on the food focusing on the diet saying to someone you look, you just need to eat more or, you know, focusing on like just getting them to eat more food is in the end of the day going to do absolutely nothing if you don't address the causes. Like what is the function of their eating disorder? What is it doing for them? Yes. What is it covering it up? Them? What is it giving you? Because it does give you something. As I said, it gives you that sense of control. It gives you a safety net. It, it's just your best friend. It was amazing to chat to Erica about the path she went on to even find the right way for her to tackle her eating distress. To me, it is interesting to note that while we may have that day dot moment where we decide to change the trajectory of our lives, it may take some trial and error to get us on the right path that will help us to make those changes. In this section, Erica talks to us about the moment she found a path that was going to help her make the difficult changes that she was wanting to make. The journey isn't always straightforward and can feel like a battle. Then when I found my um, Marina Therapy Centre, which is an eating disorder specialist um, counselling service, therapy service centre, um, like they they would have taught me that you know they they knew they know eating disorders inside out and so, that so would have they been, went straight to the roots yeah they would have been like you know you are not your eating disorder and it is it's learning to distinguish your own rational voice versus ah. the eating disorder voice and disentangle them and so you know that is part of the recovery process is trying to distinguish your voice regain your own voice and listen to your own self rather than this other thing inside you that's telling you what to do what to eat you know if you're if you if your body is saying oh i'm hungry your eating disorder says no you're not you know what i mean you know what i mean doesn't this actually feel good feeling hungry you know what i mean isn't it actually kind of nice you know what i mean well done you you haven't eaten in (laughs) 12 hours so you're you can go another three (laughs) you know what i mean it's like oh wow it's so it's so dangerous um but yeah so finding that that right um help i think was was critical for me you know what i mean was that the real change then when you found the merino yeah. it's the merino merino therapy center okay and how did yeah. you come across did someone recommend you did so you so i actually so i had gone somewhere to, i was living in cork at the time and i was i'd done a master's actually in food business and nutrition oh interesting I'm not nutrition new food business and innovation um which it did kind of toy a lot in the nutrition space as well just given the trends and stuff in the business world with nutrition um so i'd done that and i was moving to Dublin to take up a a new job when I'd finished that and someone just recommended to me I was going there and they were like look here's a few people in Dublin that do um eating disorder specific you know counseling yeah and as it happened Merino therapy center was on the same street that my new job was oh look at that and I like I remember I was trying for weeks to get um this is in 2015 now so I was trying to weeks to get a plate you know to get a as she was booked out it was Marie okay. Campion the like the founder of it that I was trying to get to see and obviously very um, very good and therefore very in demand yeah exactly and she um very like she had kind of limited time open and this kind of stuff and she was kind of booked up but anyway I eventually got um a session with her and I remember going in being like like she just called my bullshit straight away so I hated it my eating disorder hated it it was like 
like asking the questions it did not want to be asked you know what I mean like she went right in there and I remember leaving the first one being like I hate I hate it I, I do not want to go back because of so much discomfort oh it was you like hard hitting questions I didn't I did not want to think about you and, know what I mean and you were being your, your psyche was essentially yeah. being exposed right there and then yeah like you know me saying oh I don't eat certain things let's say oh I don't eat um meat which I still don't for <laughs> but still yeah and she's like well but why don't you you know what I mean like these questions and you're like just back off leave me alone yeah. like, stop <laughs> prodding at it you know what I mean and she oh I remember just like being like oh god like I'm not gonna get on with this woman like I just did not enjoy that whatsoever um but I, I think I stuck with it because she was like look I work with the GP um look you can go get your bloods done with him next week you know blah, blah, blah. and I said okay look again I was kind of focused on my health being better and I was kind of hoping I'd be able to do fix my health while at the same time keep my security blanket of the eating disorder and that's a, that's actually a very interesting yeah. point yeah so you even at that point despite you know through circumstance through faith the mm. universe or just by random luck you ended up right by that center you yeah. end up getting an appointment so you technically you know on the surface you had come so far yeah but internally there was still that thing of yeah oh maybe i could kind of mm. wrangle the two here you know but like at that i i don't think i'd even reached my lowest weight at that point you know what i mean it took oh, really like an eating disorder recovery is it's not linear in any way you know if you can imagine a graph and there's a straight line going from one corner to the top right yeah like it's not like that it's very circular you will go up and you go down and you go back and it's painful and it's a long long process so if there's anyone listening to this who's six months in who's two years in who's three years in and still feeling like they're going back to square one like I would just say you're not you never go back to square one because every time you go back you learn a little bit more you bounce back a little bit quicker you learn a new coping mechanism you learn something about yourself you question why did I you know why did the behaviors crop up again yes. you know this time why did I go back to eating this way etc or controlling it or yes. you know when I had that binge did I restrict the next day or did I actually just say you know what I'm going to have my breakfast today regardless of the fact that I binged last night you know this kind of thing yes. um, so it is it's very circular so it was the beginning when I went to Marie it was the beginning of a very long process mm -hmm. um and she would have kind of made that very clear from the outset that you know this is going to be slow it's going to be long it's going to take a lot of work like an eating disorder is it needs and it's an active recovery process you can't just hope for it to heal itself because it's not going to yes it's you can't just live with it and hope that the behaviors will quiet down after a while and you can get back to your normal life yeah um, because at that stage like to say that all I thought about was food was food and exercise like you go to bed thinking about what you ate that day analyzing every single bite that you ate thinking about what you can do better the next day thinking about what's coming up in your diary what social situations do you have how can you manage those you know what I mean wow, it's, so it's it's all consuming it's, all it's, it's consuming. the lens by which yeah. you view everything yeah it was and like for like let's say from 2015 to god like at least like two to three years of like going to therapy every single week and mm -hmm. going to group sessions at the weekend as well maybe doing an extra session during the week it was rock bottom stuff like i was living day to day in torment like you were i was just living in desperation like i just I just wanted to be free. I wanted to just wipe my mind clear of all this wow. stuff that was going on. And it's just, oh my God, it's just the worst feeling. Like you're just in the grip of these thoughts. And it can, like at times, like it was extremely dark. Like you just, you want to do anything just to, just to be free of it. Just yeah, to, just, just to silence the mind. Yeah, and like yeah. when I think of how scared my you know when I think my like obviously my whole family but my mom in particular she everything I felt she felt as well like she went along and I just when I think of what she must have seen and 
like there was times where I just wouldn't have contacted her for you know even overnight or the next day or whatever because you know let's say I might have had a binge um because I had started doing because I actually think one of the repercussions of going to a dietitian and them telling me I needed to eat x amount of calories is that I actually ended up developing binge eating disorder then so I used to just to hit a quota I used to mass eat and then purge and then restrict then for the rest of I don't know for the whole next day or so like erotic feast and yeah famine, feast exactly and because yeah. I think they gave me the kind of go ahead to say literally you cannot eat enough so just keep right. eating and then I was just kind of like I couldn't control it you know what I mean and I would say that you know a lot of people with eating disorders they live kind of at this kind of a pendulum type of action so you have a pull so far to one side you're so restricted you're so restricted and then you let it slip and you swing to the other side and you're binging and you're completely out of control so it was just constant swinging from back back and forth and like she used to have to put up with me ringing like in the mornings before i have to go to work like trying to function as a human being trying to do a job at the same time I was having to deal with this but mm-hmm. like going to Marie those times was it was so necessary when I say that like I'd go into her and be like I couldn't wait to get in the door to her because I was just like every day was a battle every day was you know obstacles choices trying to make you know trying to decipher what was the eating disorder voice what was my own voice trying to overcome mental barriers in terms of what I was going to eat in terms of just living you know what I mean like every social aspect everything becomes so much harder because everything is a threat to your eating disorder and it wants you to stay in a small box it wants you to live small it wants you to stay in your routine stick to the schedule and if you do all those things and you're a good you know, you tick all the boxes, then you'll feel good and you'll feel safe. But if you go outside those things, there's so much risk, you know, that you will spiral out of control. And, you know what I mean? It's it's just, it's just, as you said, it's like the most awful feeling and you just want to wash your brain just mm-hmm. of... You want to be just, you want it all to be over mm, essentially. Yeah. yeah. And I guess that is like the decision that you make then by taking on you know by taking on the recovery process like it is you know you need to be committed and you need to be consistent as I said like I went every week and it costs a lot of money obviously I did that privately like the public system is on its way to getting better but definitely wasn't there at the time when I was was going through it but you need to do it and it's 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 hard work and you cry multiple times a week and mm-hmm. you you will have so many lows as I said like that graph does not go in a straight line upwards you're going up and down and up and down and you just need to go through it it's just all part of it and yeah the only way what the, what's the obstacle is the way essentially yeah. so the only way around it is straight through it yeah and you need as I said it, it is it's active process like you have to you have to learn from your mistakes and learn new coping mechanisms so when stressful periods come up in your life um you need to learn new ways to cope with those stresses you know and not turn to those behaviors to those eating distress eating disorder behaviors you know to to restrict or to binge or to purge or whatever your vice is or to over exercise you need to find new ways of coping with your emotions and that is all part of it you learn your kind of recovery toolbox as oh yeah merino therapy (laughs) center would say you need to learn new tools and in those times of distress that we all face in life we all it's normal it's it's a guarantee that you're you're gonna face stress in life and i think it is you know you need life is experiencing a full range of emotions and i think it's kind of one learning that that is normal learning to identify those emotions to be aware of how you're feeling to you know when you are in those situations to slow down your thinking yeah to try and figure out right what is going on to maybe like 
you know find a little bit of connection between your mind and your body you know is your heart beating is your stomach tense is your are you frowning and try and ground yourself and try and identify the emotion and instead of just being like oh I feel a little bit weird I'm going to go back to my eating disorder behaviors now and it's trying to say okay what am I feeling how can I make myself feel a bit better now what are what are the other things I can do to self-soothe to instead of you know doing those things the, the ne- that the eating yeah. disorder wants you to do the you negative know? destructive behaviors yeah and yeah. it's and it's about I suppose ultimately you know the process as I said it's extremely it's hard and it's difficult and it's it takes a long time and a lot of commitment you know like yeah it is you do need to go weekly or whatever it is to, to get it done but you know I, I remember Marie saying to me that like the people who recover the fastest and who you know eventually do find full recovery are the ones who enjoy the process and kind of take it on as a challenge and okay. see it as a bigger picture kind of thing um because yeah. for me like I would say that the biggest thing I kind of gained from it is I learned who I was I would say that before I took on this recovery process I had no clue who I was like I was literally I was just I didn't know Erica at all I'd never well, done you said you said floating at the beginning yeah I was completely disconnected between my mind and my body I was I was just living like superficially um and like the recovery process isn't the therapy process like they don't talk about food barely it's just about wow. how to live you know what I mean it's about coping with life and then by learning new strategies, by learning new coping mechanisms, by exploring who you were, your personality, your values, you learn that you don't want to live that way anymore. You learn a new way to live. Erica is a beacon of knowledge on how to live presently and live within the small moments of every day, as opposed to always chasing those bigger moments. It is clear that she learned this from the commitment and support she had on her journey to full recovery. I love her focus on constantly challenging herself and trying to figure out who she is. This drives her to make positive life choices that feel full and exciting and have endless possibilities. The destination, so to speak, that my therapist would have kind of used would have been like full recovery or freedom is what she would would have called it and I remember when she said this I was like this woman like if she thinks <laughs> that I will ever get to that stage like yeah I might you know put on a little bit of weight or you know I'll eat a little bit healthy but like how she would describe freedom is like fully free of any food rules and I remember this thing she said to me I remember at the time it baffling me because I come from a household where large portions are a thing you eat everything on your plate oh, and yeah. I remember her saying that she went to dinner and she her favorite favorite steak restaurant and she had her steak and you know in those fancy restaurants they give you like triple chick triple cooked chips that's a oh yes that's a tongue twister um and like you know you get like maybe like eight and they're like stacked up and like when i used to eat out in my eating record um during the process like oh my god I couldn't eat enough of what was around me because I would restrict for so long and then suddenly all this food was in front of me and I would just lose the run of myself like I would I'd be looking what everyone else is eating I was just like unable to stop myself eating and she would be she said that from her state of full recovery and full freedom from an eating disorder she would maybe eat three chips and she said you know what I actually I'm, I'm kind of satisfied now not from a you know, she said, I'm actually full, you know what I mean? And I would just be like, I, there is no way I could leave those chips behind me. Okay, you know what I mean? And yes. to hear her saying like, I could get to that point. I was just like, that, that is not even a thing. You and know that, what that's mean? a point to be clear. That's a, not a point of going, oh God, I've had three chips. I can't eat the others on the plate. No. It's, it's, just, it's just a complete internal calm. Yeah. Just saying, actually, you know I've what? had enough. Like, yeah, it's just like listening to your body and being like, oh like I've you know I'm actually full now and despite the fact that like like from an eating supportive like I would be like I need to eat all those chips because I would just be you know obsessing about them you know what I mean whereas like it's from as you said from that place of complete calm internal awareness just being like you know what I actually don't really it doesn't bother me you know what I mean so that's the freedom yeah it's that it's that freedom and I think 
that defi- the definition of recovery changes during your process. So obviously for me to go in on day one and think I could achieve that, you know, that state of just not obsessing about food and it would have been just ridiculous. So like your, mm-hmm. you know, your definition of recovery changes as you, as you go through the process. So oh, I, that's would, interesting. I would say that I'd still now challenge myself to, you know, cause I said, as I said, there's these eternal food rules that we all follow. And so many people I know follow rules and don't have eating disorders, but okay. they are on Weight Watchers or Slimming World and they think that they'll be on these, you know, processes for the rest of their lives. And even if it's not a, a set regime like that, you know what I mean? It, it could just be something very small, like, you know, they don't ever eat nut butters not because they don't like them but because they heard they're fattening or you know these yeah, kind and, of things and particularly are, nowadays with you know you're online so much mm-hmm. and everyone's online so much and depending on you could follow someone not related to food yeah but they'll casually slip in oh no I, you know i only eat in a window of 12 to 4 p.m yeah. or whatever and that you know this could be someone that you admire mm-hmm. and you aspire to have yeah. a similar life to them in some mm-hmm. way and so it's not presented even in the you know within the context of yeah. food but it, but you pick up on it though yeah like as i said like we our minds are not evolved to be able to withstand the intelligence of the marketing that's thrown at us so you know wow. while you know we go through phases and like now we look back at some things that we would have considered you know healthy you know let's say even the clean eating thing that was kind of a dirty word so to speak or we'd look back and go oh my god slimming teas like whoever you know like that was wild how did we ever do that but it's just repackaged up reformulated and pushed back to us in another way now you look at is it noom i'm gonna say is it they're they're like there's these kind of fitness tracking things that are yes there are all these external devices basically that are you know tracking what we're eating how many steps we take, you know, all these things that we don't need to know. You know what I mean? Like we, ne- we need to stop relying on external voices, you know, validation, apps, tracking, you know, everything. whatever it is, you know what I mean? For our nutrition and learn how to listen to our own bodies and learn to trust ourselves and to not, to not feel like our bodies are this source of, you know, this thing that you need to just be constantly managing and trying to control and you know like it's our bodies it's not us against our bodies for the rest of our lives like we can live in a space that's completely at peace and free from rules and free from restrictions so as i said like i'm loving this this is so positive and this yeah, is a very inspirational it is yeah. and like that is like as i said at the beginning like if i have one thing to say is that that freedom and that full recovery from an eating disorder is so possible you know what i mean and i think there's so much brilliant awareness around mental health in general and it's brilliant and we're helping breaking the stigma like that first step of awareness is fantastic but i would think it's equally important that we have a conversation around mental health recovery and that telling people that recovery from mental health issues whether it's an eating disorder or other is possible and And that we can achieve it because I think a lot of people think they have to live their lives in this dark cloud and it's brilliant that they feel now that you know we're talking about it and they said that they're becoming aware of it but with the right treatment you can live life to its full potential you know what I mean that is not just because you have a mental illness does not mean that you will never live a normal life you know what yeah, i mean it is it's almost the next step as you said mm. we've gotten to the point now where people can openly say i'm actually mentally struggling and, and they'll actually openly seek treatment yeah. and it's almost then the next step is to sort of say okay you're in this position mm-hmm. now and it is actually possible you know it's like the you know the the toothpaste is out of the tube essentially mm-hmm. where it's all come out now yeah. and then it's like okay you know the next level of of, of the mental health conversation mm-hmm. is like, okay, everyone's talking about it. people can acknowledge the problem. Yeah. And then it's, it is possible to actually fix the problem. It is possible to mm-hmm. solve, you know, the, the equation of what it is. And, and I think something that, that comes across fantastically with you is you're really hammering home that your story and your journey is within just that container of eating disorder mm-hmm. is your recovery story is so unique. And it's, 
everyone has that different equation and that, and that different mm-hmm. recovery story. It's not just a cookie cutter. Yeah. Oh, I went online and an influencer told me that I, if I do this, this and this is mm-hmm. how I recover. It's such an internal personal thing, yeah. which also echoes what you said in the beginning of how the, the eating disorder itself, how it ma- manifests it is an internal thing mm-hmm. so so naturally the solution is, is a purely personal internal thing yeah and like as you said like there's so much awareness now we talk so much about it and people who have mental mental illnesses often do like so much research to listen to podcasts they'll read about it they'll you know you know share money you know raise money for charity etc but you need that needs to be coupled with the work uh, yes. you know what i mean you need to do the work as well as talking about it you need to actually go through the process and it's not a pleasant one and you will hit rock bottom many times but I guess at the same time each rock bottom is like at a slight elevation you're going up Uh that graph the whole time you know what I mean it's yeah it's it's a step you're still moving yeah you're moving the overall direction is up yeah it is and it's um it's something that I think I didn't nearly didn't believe at the start you think that this is you I'm going to be like this for the rest of my life but it's just such a relief like I can't believe how much time I spent so much in my 20s I spent living small you know just because I was afraid to to you know of what could come if I you know stepped outside my little box you know what I mean of like the eating disorder was a little safety net that I could go back to whereas there's so much more room in my life now for just life and I know the last couple of years have been obviously we couldn't travel anywhere because I think when people think freedom they think oh you know or living life they think travel again external freedom yeah exactly they think doing big dramatic things whereas like living life is in the small moments you know what i mean mm-hmm. and for me like even though i've been basically cooped up at home in cork um for the past two years i in your, have in your beautiful in, my, in, in fairness now i live in a beautiful place um in cork um but i've lived life more in the last two years than i ever have because wow i've been at home with my family i've been able to be fully present with them i've been home with my niece who I've seen grow up now over the past two years and it's just been it's just been life you know what I mean it's been pure life like just pure love pure life like getting to spend so much time with my parents I think if I'd looked back and said I would be almost 30 living my parents I'd have been like oh I'm failing at life but now I'm actually like this is a gift like this is such a gift I'm getting time this extraordinary rare opportunity to live and be with my parents these people who I love more in the world who else would I want to spend time with you know what I mean these are the people that I like it's mad why don't more people live with their parents I don't know (laughs) but it's so you also save a lot on rent can I just say that (laughs) it's Andy also getting financial advice which is great but I I find it so um it's I think fascinating is the word there that you unpack that and you explained it so brilliantly that you know, when people nowadays talk about uh, being present in the mm. moment, you know, I think you can get it. It can be attached to a lot of like esoteric spiritual things. And people think, oh, geez, this is a crazy like woo concept. Mm-hmm. But it genuinely is like that. Say, for example, you're at home and you're you're not under the burden of, oh, God, but society says that everyone my age, you shouldn't be at home. You should be earning mm-hmm. X amount of salary and you should have a mortgage and, you know, you should be, have a wife and 2.4 kids or, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. But I think that, you know, that idea of presence is just being, it's being free from all that external Mm. stuff. And, and, you know, if you could pick up a theme of this whole conversation between us is that idea of the internal and the external. Mm It was such a joy to sit down with Erica and explore her complex and truly inspiring willpower and resilience. I would love to leave you with an idea I feel is very important to this episode. We all have so much going on internally and externally, and I would love for you to explore how your internal affects your external and vice versa. I feel Erica has highlighted that looking internally and getting to know the essence of yourself is a powerful way to know the world around you as well. Look, Erica, I we've covered some unbelievable insights there and 
you know, thank you so much for sharing everything from where you are now, you know, both internally and and externally with your parents down in Cork and, and, you know, where where you used to be. I better mention my sister and my brother or else they'll be. My brother's (laughs) in London, but anytime I don't mention him, he's like, I don't get mentioned. Uh, But my sister also lives um, very close by. So she's been an absolute rock over the last couple of years as well. So she's Alice's, my niece's mom. Which is weird to say that my sister is a mom. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's nice. Well, Alan's got to mention too yeah, as well. So it's perfect. Course. Well, look, thank you. Thank you so much. I cannot thank you enough for everything you shared. And you were truly an open book. Uh, and no doubt there are more and more pages in there that we didn't get to today. We may get to at some <laughs> point. So thank you so much for all this. Thank you for having me. Erica spoke about the Merino Therapy Centre in this episode, a truly amazing organisation that encourages and supports full freedom from eating distress. Go check out their Instagram at MerinoTC, that's M-A-R-I-N-O-T-C, and their own podcast, Calling It Out with the powerful Jacqueline Campion. It's my time to grind it out. It's my time. I'm Greg Xavier, and this has been Day Dot where we explore the idea that your entire life can shift in one day. Oh.